Welcome to This Podcast is Not for Profit. Our sector is full of big hearts, tiny budgets, and audacious goals. Join us as we explore the forces shaping the nonprofit sector, speak to experts and innovators, and share stories from the front lines of the fight to end hunger, poverty, and create more inclusive communities. Welcome back, listener. We've been on a bit of a hiatus over the last few months as, like many of you, we've had to pivot and adjust to the COVID-19 global pandemic. United Ways across the country have been on the front line raising vital dollars, supporting frontline workers, and advocating for relief funds to target the most vulnerable in the community. I'm excited to be back and share some of the stories from the front line. We often hear the term too big to fail applied to banks and automakers, but the nonprofit sector is too important to fail. Not only are we a vital economic engine, we are also the social safety net that catches people when they fall. In hard economic times, it it is our services that can mean the difference between sharing a family meal together or choosing to skip a meal so your kids can eat. We are the food bank that feeds a family who lost their paycheck. We are the after-school program that keeps a kid from joining a gang. And we are the crisis support line that provides hope at the end of the period of darkness. And we are the job training program that provides a light at the end of the tunnel. Though the pandemic has been keeping us apart, it has undoubtedly brought us together. While so much is uncertain right now, one thing we know for sure, it is that we are all connected. We need one another, some of us more than others. In my interview with Don Seymour, the executive director of Wesley Urban Ministries, he says that we're seeing a community of generosity even among those who have very little. The sacredness of humanity comes through in everybody. These difficult circumstances are shining a light on cracks in our social supports and requiring those on the front line to pivot and find ways to do more with even less. This isn't really new to the sector, but it certainly has been exacerbated by the pandemic. Marginalized people are disproportionately affected by lockdown measures. Were those of us privileged enough to stay at home, order groceries online, set up Zoom meetings with our friends, and binge listen to our favorite podcasts, too many others are struggling to keep their heads above water, no longer able to access the services and supports they rely on to survive. We are also seeing unprecedented levels of cooperation between shelters, public health, and city that have resulted in exceptionally low numbers of COVID cases within those vulnerable populations here in Hamilton and Halton. Resources are flowing, folks are collaborating and finding ways to take care of those who are in support, and the community is rallying around these efforts. We've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars thanks to the generosity of our donors over the last couple of months. Over the next few months, we're going to pivot this podcast to highlight some of the stories of these projects and of these stories such as the Good Soup Project that is rescuing excess food to help feed socially isolated seniors precariously housed in other vulnerable populations during COVID-19, or how school custodians voluntarily redeployed to deliver food to students who would typically access in-school food programs, or about collaboration between organizations doing street outreach to make sure even the hardest to reach demographics are not being left behind during the pandemic. These stories illuminate the generosity and dedication of social service frontline workers in our community and show why the social service sector is too important to fail. I hope you enjoy the following episodes and find some hope 
and the kindness and generosity that illuminates the community during this dark time. with Tracy Hussey, and she is the executive director of Halton Food for Thought, a charity that provides student nutrition programming to over 74,000 kids across Halton. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, first, can you tell me a little bit about your organization? What kind of services do you provide? Who do you serve? Absolutely. So Halton Food for Thought is one of... Um, four organizations in our region. Um, so the school nutrition programs in Ontario are split into 14 regions. We're one of four in our region. We provide um, school nutrition programs uh, in any school that is interested in providing school nutrition programs in Halton. So um, we currently provide school, uh, school nutrition programs in 130 schools. And and what does that what does that programming look like? Is it snacks? Is it meals? Um, how do you you know how do you determine access? That kind of thing. So the access is universal. Um, that's um, a mandate by the ministry um, who d provides about half of our funding, the Ministry of Community um, and Social Services. And really, it's it's the only way that school nutrition programs work. Um, because access is universal, there is no stigma to attend. And we do find that the schools that do a really good job with making um, their programs known are the ones that are the most successful in terms of outcomes um, for their kids and families. And what role does student nutrition have in terms of outcomes? Because I assume that what the, the kind of food that you're providing, it's much more than just food. It's, right. it's sort of, yeah. And that, that goes back a little bit to your previous question about, you know, what what does that look like? And it depends on the school. So we have schools that provide breakfast. Uh, we have schools that provide lunch. We have schools that provide a morning meal. Um, and most schools also have some sort of bin program where um, if people are hungry, they can just go to the area where the bin is or the fridge um, and have a snack. In terms of outcomes, one of the best um, or well-known researchers in this area is Sarah Kirk. She's a professor at Dalhousie. And Ontario is one of three pro uh, provinces that um, has school nutrition programs. Um, Nova Scotia is one of the others. Um, <clears throat> there's not a lot of um, great evidence yet because the programs are not necessarily standardized. And so it's hard mm -hmm. to compare across provinces and it's hard to, care, to compare across schools. Um, but in general, because we're providing with a snack, two food groups and with a meal, three food groups and funding for the programs are dependent on schools agreeing to um, only provide healthy, um, healthy food, food that meets the public health mandate, the the number of um, servings of fruits and vegetables goes up. The mm -hmm. uh, incidence of hunger in classrooms and behavior problems go down. And anecdotally from um, surveys with principals and teachers, uh, the difference is monumental for them in terms mm -hmm. of the amount of um, learning. And there is a there was a good research study done in 2016 um, suggesting that kids who go to school hungry or are, are hungry at school miss 136 minutes of learning a day. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I mean, I think most people here have 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 experienced being hangry, and uh, and and know how difficult it can be to really focus when um, when you're thinking about uh, how hungry you are. So, um, yeah. and 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 why why is that? You know, I, I know you mentioned that universality is 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 mandated, but can you maybe speak about why that's important in terms of this uh, in terms of stigma? Absolutely. So there, there's a few reasons. One is about food security and the fact that um, if you if you ask people if they will go to a food bank, four out of 10 will say yes, and six out of 10 will say no. Um, there was a good research study that came out of the Hamilton Social Planning um, Council um, in the last year um, that asked teens um, who were living in uh, below the poverty line about their experiences. And obviously hunger was one of the most important um, issues. Um, and their comments were, if if the program isn't universal, they're not gonna go. And certainly that's the feedback mm -hmm. we receive from principals and teachers, um, from parents. And I guess the, the you know, our, our our vision is no school, no student goes hungry at school. There's lots of reasons why students are hungry at school. A lot of it is about time poverty and about yep. you know organizing everything. But I think if we look at it from the other lens, which is about chronic disease prevention and knowing that almost, almost you know, sadly, most public health interventions related to um, healthy eating um, are not successful, but this one is. And so... Mm. Certainly the, the food security issue and wanting to support food banks solves one problem for some people, um, but school nutrition programs actually address two different problems um, in a very positive way. And the part that um, sometimes we forget about is the, is the positive peer pressure. And we'll yeah. talk a little bit about that if we, get, if we manage to talk about the salad bars. Yeah, no, that's it's, it's a really good point. And I'd definitely like to circle back to that. Um, for sure. Um, one of the things, though, before we kind of get into the specifics of that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are wondering, you know, we support a lot of different agencies across the United Way network here. And we know that a lot of, of groups are having to pivot as a result of COVID. And I, I feel like, you know, uh, a group that serve any any group that's dealing with schools is obviously very affected. How is your organization shifting right now to to go? Like you can't go virtual with a student nutrition program. So that, how have you pivoted as a result of COVID? Uh, so excellent question. Um, we were very lucky to be able to partner with Food for Life and Food for Kids um, right at the very beginning um, during March break. And um, that partnership is not um, in in the sense of chronic disease prevention ideal because we are having to um, address the most vulnerable student needs first. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the strategy of using volunteers in schools to produce right. meals means that we can serve a whole meal for 50 cents in a school. That is absolutely not possible right now. Um, in fact, even with donated foods, um, a meal is costing about $2. So huge cost, which means that um, we're not able to provide food for everybody. That being said, um, there's lots of reasons, um, uh, lots of ideas floating, floating about, about different ways to have. So 
take Sweden, for example, you know, the social distancing, but having kids together, it's not them not being together is, is not good for their mental health. It's not good for their social development. Um, and it's not good in terms of the, the positive pressure with, with healthy behaviors. Um, mm -hmm. So, so we're starting to think about next year and, you know, we have no idea what that will look like, but um, certainly um, food will need to be a part of that. In terms of the partnership with Food for Kids and Food for Life, um, the way we have organized things is we've got, um, relied on our partnership with the school boards, both school boards, who gave information um, to all the principals and um, relevant staff about where to access or how to access food coming from Food for Life and Food for Kids pivoted so that they're now giving out gift cards instead of backpacks. Mm. So we we actually haven't had as much uptake as we thought we would. Um, we've had to do because principals and staff are scrambling to figure out how to do the online learning. Um, food isn't always the first thing on their mind. So we've done mm. a number of reminders, which has helped. Um, families are now calling in to a special number at Food for Life and asking either for delivery of food each week or um, Food for Life gives them information about the various community programs, whether it's a Food for Life program or not, um, that's in their area and where they could pick up food. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, on some fundamental level, I mean, basically that whole idea of universality is gone out the door with, with, yep. with this. I mean, you, you have to be much more targeted. And so I guess this is where that kind of collaborating with these organizations that are more targeted um, yep. is really working out Absolutely. And the fact that um, Food for Life does food recovery um, mm -hmm. with fruits and vegetables means that at least, um, you know, a, a significant portion of the food boxes that go out meet the ministry mandate for mm -hmm. public health mandate for healthy options. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how and, and I know you've been working really closely with the school boards, including uh, including some collaboration with some of the custodian staff. Can you I tell know. us a little bit about that? It is amazing, honestly. Um, every time I think about it, I smile. So we were approached by the um, Catholic board um, custodians wondering how they could help. And they had heard about the food boxes that were going out. Could they help deliver? Could they help pack? And so we now have a team of custodians who, um, who work with Food for Life and do some of the packing and do some of the driving of packages to, to student homes. Uh, honestly, I don't know what we would have done without them. Um, yeah. And the fact that they just came forward and offered to help was so amazing. We've had a lot of that, actually, and it's been um, really heartwarming to see our community come together. Even people who are, you know, have been laid off saying, well, I'm 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 available um, mm. to help. So we hope um, our, our next sort of venture um, with Food for Life is some summer boxes. We're mm. going to be doing um, deliveries to students who um, have received gift cards and have received the boxes from Food for Life um, with some funner, some summer fun stuff like a, a beach ball or a frisbee. Some of the mm. things that you need to help you encourage encourage us to get outside and get active. Um, so we'll be um, partnering on drops in June, July, and August. Well, that's great. 
And, and I mean, I guess it must be particularly hard with an organization like yourselves that relies so heavily on volunteers to do so much of the work around packing and distribution to shift to this model, even with the support of custodians and others, to be able to do that safely and to, do, to be able to do that. Yeah, it must be very yeah. difficult. Well, the, honestly, the um, if we're able to drop at a home, it's fairly easy. Um, because we, you know, we can drop it and make sure the person has somebody has received it and and move on. More of a challenge for people who don't necessarily have phone access, and or um, you know, intermittent email, uh, internet, um, who live in apartment buildings. Um, we have to make sure that they're able to come down, um, so they have to be mobile, mobile, um, come down to the um, to the vestibule and, and make sure that they've picked up the food. Yeah, that's uh, it's challenging for sure. So I'm wondering, you know, we mentioned a little bit about the salad bar program and, you know, I'd say Halton Food for Thought is is, is a pretty innovative organization. You were recently involved in, in uh, our social innovation labs, which were like so many other things delayed by COVID. Mm -hmm. And it was specifically for a salad bar program that you were looking to turn into a social enterprise. Could you Tell me a little bit about this initiative, why you participated in the Social Innovation Labs, and really what this looks looks like moving forward, because I think it's a great example of how the kind of the new normal post-pandemic is really a lot of organizations that's going to be very challenging to think through um, and, to, uh, and to pivot models that were working so well before and that showed so much promise and there were, you know, in this case, the economics really do change when you have to go to this new model. Absolutely. So um, for anybody who's interested, there is a YouTube video of our solid bar. Um, so feel free to check that out. It's a model um, that's different than our universal program. Um, parents do pay. Um, we charge between two and five dollars. The money does not come to Halton Food for Thought. It pays for um, other student nutrition programs in that school. Um, because the schools have to um, do some fundraising on their own and so some of them are using this as that avenue. What we found was the uptake was amazing. You know, we did it as a pilot in one school um, and now we're I think at nine schools with another four asking for salad bars. The kids are now eating beets and water chestnuts. It's, <laughs> it, <laughs> you know, food, food that traditionally isn't in a school nutrition program um, because of the need for refrigeration or you know whatever it is um, our, our volunteers and our coordinators have got really creative with spiraling vegetables and making things really appealing um, and again the positive pressure helps kids try things that they wouldn't normally try we would like to change you know, obviously we fundamentally believe in the universality of our programs. And so we would like to change uh, our program so that there's a sort of pay for a meal, buy a meal for somebody else aspect to the salad bars so that anybody who wants to can participate. So that's the reason why we were involved with the Social Innovation Lab, trying to find a way to market that and make a business plan to make that viable. Um, we, you know, anecdotally, we've had a lot of um, uh, parents say that they would be interested, um, but that doesn't really constitute good research. So um, we were hoping for some help with that, and certainly in the fall, we'll be we'll be interested in participating again. Moving forward, we actually do have some ideas about some 
um, pre-packaging um, using, you know, whether it's videos or pictures um, so that people can pick what their preferences would be for um, the meal for that week or for that day. And, um, you know, it, unfortunately, there are those options already for things like subs um, in mm -hmm. meals um, that pe people have purchased, but that means that we can just use that model. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that will, uh, how that will impact our volunteers and, um, you know, the, the prep needed for that. Um, our guess is that parents will want everything to be sort of prepackaged as few hands touching things as possible, additional um, safety measures in the kitchen, that kind of thing. Um, we, we have 2,400 volunteers and on a, any given school year and um, yeah, we may, we may need more. <laughs> Yeah, no, and and I think it's interesting too because with something like this, we're really, you know, you're basically looking at, you know, a program that works really well because the kids get to choose there, and that peer pressure is there. I've been to one of these events, and and the kids, I mean, it is a salad bar where they yep. approach, and there's like you know, 15 or 20 different options for them, right? Yep. And mm -hmm. I was really surprised how, like you said, kids are going for the beets and the water chestnut and whatnot because they're seeing their friends do that. And I think it's really unfortunate that some of that element, that interactivity mm. is going to have to be removed out of necessity right now to sort of comply with these, um, with these um, health, health orders. But so it will be interesting to see. And I, I imagine even just the packaging alone is going to introduce a, a much higher cost yes, uh, as well for some of these things and potentially also the prep. So we're we're starting to plan for all of that. We're you know, we're cautiously optimistic that at some point we will be able to go back to some sort of um, salad bar type delivery model, um, which may involve plexiglass like at the shop at the grocery stores, that kind of thing um, because we we know it works and yeah, for all the reasons you just said. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty it, it's a pretty incredible program, um, and so you know I'm wondering if maybe we can talk a little bit about um, the effect that this has had on your staff, mm -hmm. and 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 the kind of difficulty about uh, of, of this on on your staff. Mm -hmm. So one of the beauties and one of the challenges of our organization is we're a team of five, and all of us play. Um, fairly large roles in um, organizing things across this large region. And um, I think all of us have, you know, had a little bit, of, well, not a little, a lot of heartbreak about not being able to provide this universally um, and, you know, struggling with how we're going to do it next year. That being said, the amount of people who have come forward to help us has been amazing. The stories that we hear from um, principals and from teachers about um, how uh, the donations that we've received and been able to pass on in various forms have impacted families. So for example, um, the United Way with um, TV insurance and um, uh, Siemens was able to donate some laptops and we were able to get those out to kids fairly shortly after um, March break. Um, you know, just a random donation, but 
wow, was that ever timely? And the yeah. kids and the principals were so grateful um, just to be able to plunk that in their, their laps. And interestingly for me, um, one of the stories was about a student who was going on to high school and had, you know, wasn't sure how they would be able to manage without internet and without um, a computer. And so they're taking advantage of the Wi-Fi that's available at schools, um, sitting in the parking lot and using their laptop, which is pretty cool. That's, you know, that's a dedicated student who uh, I really hope goes far. Yeah, it's incredible. That's incredible. But so I, what can sorry. people... No, go Sorry, ahead. I just want to focus on the positive about my about our team, mm -hmm. um, because I have to say they have been amazing at pivoting and figuring out new strategies for um, program delivery, new strategies for reaching at risk and vulnerable students, um, and um, looking for new opportunities for um, donations. So, uh, you know, I I thank the world of them, and this has only impressed me more. That's amazing. And and I think, you know, I couldn't think of a better way to sort of end on, on such a positive note about uh, the resilience of your staff, the resilience of students, the story of that student sort of utilizing the laptop to, to continue with their education. I mean, I think more, more than ever, people need that kind of hope when they look forward. And in particular, I think um, when we're thinking about schools and the future of, uh, of our students and, you know, we're wondering whether or not this school year is over and what next mm -hmm. year will look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it certainly takes a village um, to, you know, to grow a child. And um, we're all missing our village a little bit, but um, we're going to figure out a way to do it. Perfect. Well, thank you for uh, joining me today and thank for spending a little bit of time sharing your story and, and, and all, all the best as you, as you look forward and plan. Thank you. You too. Have a good day, Mike. Thank you. Let's continue to bring the unignorable issues affecting our community to the forefront. I would like to thank all of our guests and dedicated listeners. This podcast was brought to you by United Way Halton and Hamilton. Stay social with us and keep the conversation going by following us at United Way HH on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and United Way Halton and Hamilton on LinkedIn and YouTube.